When I was starting to think about this morning, I was listening to a bit of music, and you know the kids' song, Be Bold, Be Strong, came on? And I thought, yeah, good tune, good tune. Uh, and I thought, what better way to, to start thinking about the passage that we're going to read and, and being bold and, and asking for God to, to bring his kingdom in. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. We are not afraid, we are not dismayed, for we are walking in faith and victory, for the Lord our God is with us. And I don't know about you, but I, I found it, it's been amazing to walk through these first few chapters of Acts and seeing the, the boldness of the apostles and the early Christians and seeing how once the Holy Spirit came to live in them, to give them faith and power, they walked boldly and confidently and expectedly believing that God would make a way for them, that as they ran after his kingdom, opening doors for it to break through, he walked with them, he partnered with them, and he did incredible things through them. So in the passage that we're going to read in a wee minute, there, there are miraculous signs and wonders being done, incredible things, and there seems to be such an anointing on Peter that as he's walking through the streets, the people bring the, their sick out so his shadow could, could pass over them, and and they were healed. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't it be great if things like that still happened today? And wouldn't it be great if when, whenever we prayed, people were healed or, or people's hearts softened to God or money would appear in, in their bank accounts or marriages were restored or, or brokenness was replaced with wholeness or, or fear was replaced with, with boldness and confidence? Well, we believe that those things can happen and that they do happen. God wants us uh, to use us to do them. And whenever we, we think about that, it can seem scary or intimidating. Um, or maybe we think, goodness, I don't know where to start. I don't know the first place to start. As I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking about Narnia, C.S. Lewis's Narnia, and how in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children stepped through the wardrobe uh, and found themselves in this wondrous world where the king lived. They stepped through from our world into his kingdom. And we talk a lot about the inbreaking of God's kingdom, about he's bringing his rule and his reign to, to our country and our, our communities and, and our lives and the lives of people around us. But the thing about it is that it's his kingdom and it's his work. In Narnia, the king Aslan, he's a lion. And the Bible describes our king as a lion as well. And as we partner with him, all we're really doing is opening the door of the wardrobe and allowing him to step through. Whenever we're partnering with God, he sometimes asks us to do things that stretch us or make us uncomfortable and that take courage. And that's okay because he'll give us the courage we need. But all that we're doing is opening the door of the wardrobe for him to step through. It's his work. And our reading this morning is, is from Acts 5, so I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna read it. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. 
Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and, and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. As we're reading those words, it's, it's so clear um, that the atmosphere surrounding the apostles and, and the early Christians was one of, of awe, of, of the fear of the Lord, of a holy reverence and respect, of wow. Like when you're driving along the coast and you stop at an incredible viewpoint, or maybe you're on the holiday of a lifetime and you go somewhere amazing like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls or, or Scrabo Tower, and um, it takes your breath away. <laughs> I'm from Ards. Um, what you're seeing makes you take, take a step back. It's so, it's so majestic that you can't take it in. And whenever I think of this holy, wow, that's unbelievable, I think of Isaiah 6, whenever the prophet sees God sitting on the throne in his temple, and we're told that the train of his robes filled the building. And the angels were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they sang, the whole building shook and it was filled with smoke. It was a scene that was so glorious, Isaiah couldn't take it in. And he was filled with a sense of how small he was compared to the awesomeness and the majesty and, and the hugeness um, of God. There's a scary fellow. Does anyone recognize him? Keith? Yeah, yeah he's a scary guy. He's even a headmaster. I remember it was on excuse me, it was on the TV whenever I was growing up, but I was too scared to watch it. But I remember that he was, he was a very scary guy. Excuse me. And whenever I think of people who make, um, who make me feel small, I think of my, my headmaster in primary school. And I know that this isn't what he looked like and that he wasn't really that scary. Uh, but that's how I remember him. And I think of my headmaster, I kind of think of the, of the demon headmaster. Um, because he was a very scary man. And my headmaster, I think he was probably actually quite nice, but I was so intimidated by him. Anytime he spoke in assembly or, or walked past me in the corridor, I remember like, feeling myself shrinking into the ground. He made me feel so small, although I think he was actually quite nice. Um, but it's right that whenever we experience God and see him do incredible, amazing things, that we should be filled with awe and that we should be filled, that we should be filled with wonder that we should go, wow. And in a way, it's right that we should feel small, but not in the same way that my headmaster made me feel small, despite the hugeness and the amazingness and the majesty of God, despite the fact that he, he's the one who created everything that we see, that he's been around since before the beginning of time, and that he's the most powerful, incredible being in the whole universe. He's also the most loving, compassionate, sacrificial being in the whole universe. And he stepped out of heaven onto earth, the architect stepping inside the plan. Royalty robed itself in flesh, and he loved us, and he cared for us, and we hated him, and we killed him. 
and all the time he knew where his road was going and he kept, he kept walking on it anyway. He knew that it was going to end up at the cross, but he kept walking. And now he's in heaven and he thinks about each of us. Each of us. All the time, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from, no matter what our story looks like up to this point. Whenever we see and we think about signs and wonders and God doing incredible wow things, like our jaws should drop and we should, we should think wow and realize how small we are beside our incredible God. But we should also feel 10 feet tall because we see that he loves us and that he anoints us and he wants to use us to bring his kingdom, to bring the real thing. So what are, what are our dreams? What are what are our visions? Has God given us a vision to chase after? Can we sense how he might be looking to use us, maybe as individuals or as a church? Like this city being changed or a friend giving their life to Jesus or our children simply growing up in his image? Or it might be the seed of an idea that you've never even spoken about to anyone else. And we might think, well, I don't know where to start. Like, how am I ever going to do that? But all we have to do is be obedient and trust him. Because all, all we're doing is open, opening the door and letting him step in, step into the room to do his work. There's no minimum criteria that we have to meet for God to use us. And it doesn't have to be through healings or miracles, although he's certainly going to do those things, and that's amazing and incredible and exciting. But it could just look like quiet prayers between you and God or an encouraging text or being hospitable and open up, opening up your home and asking somebody around for dinner. Between 1949 and, and 1953, there was a revival in the Outer Hebrides where the majority of the population gave their lives to Jesus. And I read about it in a book called Dirty Glory by a man called Pete Gregg. And he tells the story better than I do. So I'm just going to read it. Uh, it's about a page or two long, so, so stay with me. It's big writing, though, so it shouldn't take too long. The Hebridean revival began in the tiny village of Barvas on the Isle of Lewis, where two elderly sisters, Christine and Peggy Smith, were sitting by their peat fire, lost in prayer. One of them was 82 bent double with arthritis, and the other was 84 and blind. They couldn't do much, but they could certainly still pray. And on this particular night, their souls were burdened deeply by the complete absence of young people from the church across the fields. Outside, the moon hung high in the sky, and, and the wind swept in from the sea. But inside, the fire sighed and crackled, casting gentle shadows across the room as the Smith sisters poured out their hearts to heaven in their native Gaelic tongue. And suddenly one of the women receives a vision of young people filling the church. It was as simple as that. The sort of thing we might gloss over in many of our meetings today. But these two old prayer warriors were not so flippant. They summoned their minister to their house the following morning and informed him quite unequivocally that he would need to get ready. Revival is coming. What do you suggest I do, he asked a little helplessly. What should you do, they gasped. You should pray, ma'am. And then these two octogenarian saints proposed a deal. If you will gather your elders and pray in the barn at the other end of the village, 
at least two nights a week, they said. We will do the same here from 10 at night till 3 in the morning. And so a remarkable series of late-night prayer meetings began in the village of Barvas on the Isle of Lewis in the year 1949. And they persevered like this, praying for five hours a night, twice a week, because they were convinced that God had spoken and that when he gives a promise, it is our job to pray it into being. And there were no instant answers, no further visions, and certainly no teenagers miraculously turning up at church. But they refused to relent. The Smith sisters kept praying in their cottage, and the church elders kept praying in their barn for many weeks, until a particular night when one of the elders stood to read Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Brethren, he said, it is just so much humbug to be waiting thus night after night, month after month, if we ourselves are not right with God. They nodded and he continued, I must ask myself, is my heart pure? Are my hands clean? He lifted his head and emitted a strange cry, and then he fell to his knees and crumpled to the floor. The barn was suddenly filled with the presence of God. There was a moment that would later be identified as the catalyst that let loose a prayer that shook the Hebrides. The following morning, the minister sent word to an organization called the Faith Mission in Edinburgh, requesting a Gaelic-speaking evangelist to be sent to the island without delay. And a preacher by the name of Duncan Campbell was duly dispatched to meet his way north. By the time he reached the village, the church was packed with inquisitive locals wanting to make sure that they didn't miss out on whatever peculiarities might happen next. What happened next is a holy thing. And I write about it even now with a sense of awe. It was as though the Holy Spirit began moving in the building. Many in the congregation actually cried out as if they were in physical pain. Some people arrived at the church after midnight, having been woken at home with an irresistible urge to come. That first meeting continued until four in the morning. Duncan Campbell himself had intended to stay in the Hebrides for just 10 days, but remained for more than two years, traveling from place to place, praying and preaching everywhere he went, leading countless people to Christ. I don't know what you think whenever you hear those words, but I think, wow, that's incredible. What a thing to have been part of. Um, and the thing that strikes me is that if it wasn't for those sisters being hungry enough to pray, nothing might have happened. And if it wasn't for the elders being dogged and determined in their prayers, if it wasn't for that man being vulnerable enough to look inside his own heart, things might have turned out differently. But those people committed their eyes and committed themselves and set their eyes on the kingdom and they opened the door and the king came in. So let us ask, do we want to see it? The kingdom of God breaking into the lives of our families, our friends, our workplaces, breaking into our relationships at the school gates. Let's allow ourselves to become hungry, to worship God, to say that holy, wow, feeling small but 10 feet tall at the same time. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way.
there's a lot more to being a disciple and being the image of Jesus in the world and, and spiritual gifts, but they're definitely, they're definitely a piece of the jigsaw. Uh, Paul says in this, uh, well, in these verses here, the final one there, he says, eagerly desire the, gift, the greater gifts. And I'm not sure what he means by the greater gifts personally, but he's just been comparing the church to a body and saying that no part should be considered greater or less than any other part. So he's not saying that any gift is bigger or better than any of the others. But what he is saying, definitely, is that we should eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just say desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says eagerly desire the gifts. So I wonder... Does that describe me? Does that describe us? Are we knocking down God's door? Give me the gifts, please. The purposes of the gifts are to build up the body, to serve those around us, to glorify God and to act as signs which point people to Him. And there's loads of them. There's prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, discernment. And some of those, by their nature, will, will draw more attention than others. Uh, but they're all equally valid, and they all have a key role to play. So again, are, are, we, are we knocking on God's door? Are we asking him to equip us with the gifts? Jesus said in Luke 11, Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give us the gifts to equip us to join him in his work, to help us open the door, to let him come in. So we should continually ask for the miraculous, for the power gifts like prophecy or miracles or healing because we know the incredible, amazing things that, that God can do through them. But we should also not forget the gifts which might not get as much attention. Like, like we need people who can be merciful, who have wisdom, who are encouragers, who have knowledge, who have faith, who can discern. Every part of the body has a role to play. And whenever so mature that, that we don't need to grow, Paul told Timothy to fan into flame, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. I remember speaking to another Christian at the bus stop one day and asking how their church was going. And they said they were doing the prayer course, which is a, it's a brilliant resource by 24-7 prayer. And I asked where they planning on going. And he said, no, why would I go to that? I know how to pray. There's always more of God to know. There's always more he wants to teach us. There's always more fruit that we can bear for him. We can grow in our spiritual gifts, just like we can grow and build our muscles. I was reading recently a good book called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit by a man called Jack Deere. And he gives some good pointers to, to how we can grow in, in the gifts of the Spirit. And I'll just talk through them briefly. He said that we should believe that they are for everybody and that each of us has a part to play. Because if we think that they are for everyone else and not us, we'll never think to ask God to equip us with them and we'll never think to practice them and use them. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. 
each of us. I'm rubbish at football. Like, I'm rubbish at football. Um, two left feet. Um, terrible. But whenever, so whenever I was at school, I was always the last one to be picked for the team, um, which was sad. But yeah, it was, it was sad. It was sad. Yeah, I didn't feel part of the team. But there you go. Um, but it's not like that in God's kingdom. You might be, you might be comfortable to, to sit in the stands and to watch, but he's inviting you onto the pitch to play. He's inviting each of us onto the pitch to play, and each one of us has a key role to play. And if you're not sure what your gift is, then, then ask God or speak to someone. And we're also just pray specifically for the gifts that we feel God wants to give us. And again, if we're not sure what those are, we should ask him or speak to someone. Paul tells us that the Spirit distributes gifts as he wills, but he still tells the Corinthians to diligently pursue gifts. So, for example, he says that if you have the gift of tongues, you should still pray to be able to discern those tongues. So we shouldn't say, it doesn't really matter, God, he'll just give me whatever gifts he wants. We're to pursue them and ask for them diligently. James says in James chapter 4 that you don't have because you don't ask. And we should practice our gifts and use them regularly as well. I love running. Yeah, I'm mad about running, but if I don't practice it and do it, I'm not going to get any better at it. Over lockdown, I started doing a bit of cooking, but again, if I don't practice cooking, I'm not going to get any better at it, and I'm not going to get any better at using my spiritual gifts if I don't use them as well. I've learned a new phrase since coming to the vineyard. Everyone gets to play. And I know that we talked about it last week, but God has made each of us uniquely. And so each of us has gifts and experiences and ways of looking at things that no one else will, which means that we are uniquely equipped to contribute in ways that, that nobody else can. If we think of the most celebrated people in our culture, I wonder who we would think of. Maybe sports stars or, or film stars or successful business people who seem to have it all together. Well, there's no stars in God's kingdom, which is good news for us, but it is full of people who say, I can't do it by myself. So will you help me, please? Whenever we think about God and his awesomeness and his majesty, you know, we're going to feel small, but we should also feel 10 feet tall. Because if he says that he can use us and he wants to use us, then we better believe it. As we partner with Jesus in bringing his kingdom, he wants to use us. He wants, to, he wants us to pursue spiritual gifts, but he wants us to do it for the right reasons as well. And uh, in Acts 19, we've spoken about this a few times the last few weeks, we read about the sons of Sceva who tried using Jesus' name to, pray, to cast out demons. And they would say things like, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And one day an evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? The man who had the evil spirit inside him jumped, jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And Ben pointed out a few weeks ago that this happened because they were relying on a formula instead of the name of Jesus. They thought the casting out demons was some kind of magic trick, but the real issue actually was their heart, using his name for their own fame and their own glory instead of God's. 
whenever we talk about signs and wonders and, and miracles and spiritual gifts, we need to always remember what they're for, their purpose, glorifying Jesus and pointing to him. And it's easy to look at people who are really gifted or experienced and, and maybe to put them on pedestals and you know, hold them at a, le- at a level that's higher than healthy. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with having role models, and it's important that we have role models, but the only name that matters is the name of Jesus. And in a world that pushes us, pushes the need to be discovered, to make it to the top, to stand out from the crowd and to be the hero, it's easy to find ourselves walking off the track. But if it becomes about anything or anyone other than the name of Jesus, then we've got an idol. And we need to come back to him. We said that we should eagerly pursue the gifts of the Spirit, but we should also regularly ask what it is that we're really hungry for, what it is that we're actually chasing after. Is it his kingdom? Is it his glory? Or is it something else? Because whatever we desire most is the thing that we're going to orient our lives towards and chase after. And if that isn't Jesus then we're going to be drinking from empty wells which are going to leave us thirsty or um, we're going to be chasing after empty promises which are going to leave us brokenhearted. So let's ask and let's be honest enough to, to answer it as well. What, what is it that we're really chasing after? What, what are we really hungry for? For me, the most interesting and and probably the coolest part of this passage is whenever the people bring their sick out onto the streets and and they were touched by Peter's shadow and and when that happened, they were healed and made whole. And and like we just said, it's easy to put people on pedestals, but Peter was just a person like us. He He was flawed. When Jesus, earlier in the Gospels, he, when Jesus said that he had to die and go to the cross, Peter said that it shouldn't happen. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Not Peter's finest moments. And whenever Jesus was being arrested, Peter, Peter didn't want it to happen. And he, he took a sword and he cut off the ear of a temple servant. Again, not his finest moments. And it didn't stop there. Whenever he first went to visit the, the Christians in the city of Antioch, he would happily sit and eat with the Gentile Christians. But whenever some Jewish Christians turned up, he was afraid that they'd criticize him for sitting and talking with the Gentile Christians. So he stopped. And Paul had to call him out on it and tell him off. Peter didn't have this power because he was perfect or because he was some kind of superhero. And there's no doubt that he had a really amazing and special anointing. But these people weren't healed and made whole because of him, but because of who he carried inside of him. As he walked past, it wasn't only his shadow passing over them, but the Holy Spirit that was living in him and which was working through him. And if, we, if we've given ourselves to Jesus, if we're followers of his, then that shadow has reached out and touched us. And he sent his spirit to live in us, to walk with us, to guide us, to equip us and anoint us. 1 John 15 says that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in him. The same spirit that we've been reading about lives inside us and wants to move through us. And Peter and his friends they changed the whole world. They, they, they turned it upside down. But whenever I think about, like, and if I'm honest about it, what, what makes me different to Peter 
the thing that stands out is that he had given up everything to follow Jesus. Jesus had said to him, leave your nets and follow me. Leave your livelihood, your home, your family, your reputation, your identity, and follow me. And he did. He died to his own ambitions, and he wasn't perfect. And that's good news for us. But God moved through him in ways that he never could have imagined. And he wants to move through us as well. So we should never rule ourselves out. You know, we should never rule ourselves out no matter what our story is or, or how we feel about ourselves because like, how God feels about us never changes. He, he loves us and he wants to move through us and, and to bring his kingdom through us. So we don't have to spectate. You know, each of us is invited onto the pitch. Everyone, everyone gets to play. So we want to see God's kingdom come. We want, we want to chase after the real thing. We want to see people healed and relationships made whole. We want to see lost people welcomed into families. We want to see warm homes. We want to see full tables. We want to see the world around us redeemed. And if we think about it, that's what everyone, everyone is working for and chasing after, whether or not they, they love and follow Jesus. From the doctor or the nurse working to make people healthy, to the teacher sewing into the young people's futures, to all the people doing industrial action at the minute who want fair pay, to people who diligently recycle because they want to look after the beautiful world that they find themselves living in. And if we don't know Jesus, the formula for that is going to be to try hard and to put our heart and soul into it. And, and that's so important. But the problem with our fallen world can't be fixed with hard work or, or with good ideas. The problem is that it's broken. But God is making everything new. Everything that's broken, he's making whole again. And he uses the least likely people, like me and you, to do it. And this is the last part of the worship guys want to come back up. There's a lot more, uh, there's a lot of work to do. And it's intimidating and we might think, goodness, why am I ever going to do that? But it's God's work. And it's his kingdom. And all we have to do is open the door for him to step through.